if we don't take church history seriously and we don't understand it, then we'll fight the same battles over again. Yes. <laughs> There's God in a box. <laughs> Everybody says don't put God in a box, but this, anytime we go outside of this box, we're in danger. How does God get to the cross? Yeah. What is the Old Testament doing in its history, its prophetic messages? It's, it's telling us how to be overcomers. Yeah, right. So that we can kill the giants in our so lives. It's, okay, here we go. Hi, everybody. Hello. Steve Kozar. Daryl Rayfelt. I did that like you were one of the the dogs here in the bed usually. It's, oh, it's okay. Paulette and the dogs, but no. Okay. Paulette and the dogs will be with us later. All right. So we're going to do a video about how to properly interpret the Bible. Sounds like a good idea. It should only take about five, ten minutes. Yeah, at least. We should have it all nailed. Uh, no, uh, seriously, this is, a, this is a great topic, and I... I think one of the real difficulties we've experienced with our YouTube channel is that we're pointing out a lot of really bad things, and, and rightly so. And I think it's also true that people have said, well, what do you believe? What do you want to, what we you know, they're, they're asking, okay, I get it, this stuff is wrong. Yes. What's right? That's and, true. And it's such a big topic and an important topic that I've just kind of hinted at it, you know, throughout all the videos. We do mention things over and over again, you know, like... Uh, the idea of law and gospel, mm -hmm. or the idea of uh, how some texts are just describing what took place. They're not actually prescribing what we should be doing. They're just saying what happened. So that descriptive, prescriptive difference. There's some of that. But what we're going to do today is, with your help, we're going to go through. You have a, a wonderful outline. And we're going to see how far we can go. we got our timer set. And we may do like a, an hour or so. And then we'll need to maybe cut it off and start again with a part two not sure okay. where this is going to go as right. you guys know most of what we do on this channel is a mixture of casualness and serious theological discussion and this will be no different uh, if we wanted to do this perfectly with a really carefully written outline it would be number one too long and number two we would never get it done that's that's true. Very and true. Especially with you, I say, hey, can you do mm. something on such and such? And I get a six-page paper in the email three days later. I'm like, wow, okay, that was very thorough. That would be a short one. Yeah, that'd be a short one. So we're going to try to kind of go from, I think, uh, basic concepts and then veer towards more detail. Yes. And um, one of the things that I did, because I knew you were coming here. By the way, Daryl lives in Elgin. So is, what is that, a two-hour drive? About. Yeah, about two hours. Uh -huh. Did you take the uh, interstate or did you take the back roads? No, I took the interstate. Yeah, that makes sense. So when, when I thought about you coming here today, I'm like, what can we do to really kind of get this kicked off? And I was thinking, seems like we should talk about all the really common mistakes or the just categorical. It's like uh, it's not just a single error that people make. It's a whole category of errors. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that I wrote down, I actually wrote some little notes here, and then we have a custom-made whiteboard. All right. Because Daryl is old school, just like I am. Um, so here's the first bad starting point that I think is really common for most evangelicals, probably in our audience, you know, around the world, but especially here in America. And it's this category of, of this mystical version of Christianity where our relationship with God is primarily an inward thing, mm -hmm. and it's... Uh, just full of cliches like um, it's not a religion it's a relationship yes and if you don't flesh out that idea and describe what those words mean and what you're trying to say it's meaningless that's right or even harmful because if you say it's just a relationship we're like 
Well, then I guess I don't need to go to church. Yep, and that that's often what happens. Yes. You hear that a lot uh, where they don't necessarily tell you to stay away from church, but but a, a lot of a lot of the talk almost makes church sound like something you should uh, beware of. Or, or like, you should only go there to help with getting new people to show yeah, up. Yes, or don't. But you don't really get anything out of it yourself. Yeah, don't emphasize church too much because that becomes religious. Right. And that detracts from your relationship with God. Right, yeah. So it, it almost gets to be on that level, unfortunately. And um, I, I hear a lot of that. It may not be overtly expressed, but it's it, it's hinted at, at well, least very strongly hinted at. This will go into exactly what you're saying. The Bible helps to confirm my mystical experiences. So right. a misinterpretation of the Bible starts with this idea that I'm not going to the Bible in and of itself as the Word of God. I'm actually seeing the Word of God inside my head first, or inside my spirit, mm -hmm. however you want to picture that. It's internal. And then I go to the Word of God to back up what I think is happening internally. Yes. Which is just completely flipped upside down. God speaks to me personally through the Bible. Now, there is a way you could say that that's absolutely true. He does speak to you personally. But if you take that idea and you just go beyond the normal meaning of personal, it means I'm going to get specific messages specifically for me about my specific situation right now through the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so you go to the Bible and you don't actually want to see what it says. You want to find things in there that, again, confirm what's going on with you personally in a very, very particular way. Yes. And that's it's kind of like you're asking the Bible to do something that really isn't supposed to do. It's not saying it's going to do that. That's right. Um, I was just thinking there are really two, two primary ways in which the Bible speaks to us. Okay. The first is doctrinal. Where, Doctrine? Yes. Wait where, a minute. Where, where the Isn't that the dry, dead beliefs? Well, yeah, a lot of people say that. but Doctrine is just whatever you believe about God. But if you read, for example, if you read many of Paul's epistles in the New Testament, you'll find that the first part, not necessarily half and half, but the first part, he'll start out with a doctrinal right. section. I've noticed that. And then uh, after that, he'll have a, a section of exhortation. Or application. Where, or application. Yep. So so those are the two main ways, I think, in which the Bible legitimately speaks to us, individually and corporately, is first of all, doctrinally, what is it that we're supposed to believe? Mm -hmm. What what are the doctrines or teachings of Scripture that uh, inform our faith, that becomes uh, our faith, the essence, the content of our faith? What is it? And then the second thing is, how do we live that out? And so, for example, uh, speaking of, of errors, to take, let's say, the historical books, uh, particularly the Old Testament books or even the book of Acts, and, uh, and try to derive personal application from them, it, it can only happen in an indirect way. So to take a historical event and turn it into a personal application yeah. is often the mistake that's made. So and it's to, subjective. It is. Because you can if it's not what it is, <clears throat> it's whatever you want it to be. That's right. Now if you you can say, well, no, no, it's not what I want it to be. It's the Holy Spirit gave me that. Well, how do you know that? You can't know that. That's right. You, so it's it's very subjective. It is. And it's the thing about subjectivity is kind of like you can get really excited about things that sound really good at first because it sounds like it's new and fresh and 
it's you and it's it's mm -hmm. not this dry dusty thing that you've been told is dry and dusty that's why you think it's dry and dusty that's right but because it's subjective eventually you start going well how do i know it's true I, I mean in fact it seems like it isn't true because i thought such and such was going to happen based on all these things going on in my head but none of that stuff happened in fact everything got worse or the dream that i was having didn't turn into a good thing. It turned into a bad thing. It all fell apart. I lost my house. It, it just right. So when we're doing these sermon reviews on Hit the Bar, especially, we get comments all the time from people who are so thankful that we're just pointing out it doesn't have to be subjective. Mm -hmm. But it sounds at first like, well, you're just saying it's this universal thing that applies to everybody. Then it's not a personal relationship, and that sounds dry and boring. Like, well. I, can we just deal with reality? You know, the the Bible yes. can't be whatever we want it to be. No, that's right. I, I mean, there's there's some examples. One of the most common ones is Jesus calming the storm, and everybody. What's the storm in your life? Yes, Dale? everybody has probably heard this sermon. Uh, there are many of them. Everybody. You know what the storm in my life is? It's having that? to hear people allegorize <laughs> Jesus calming so, the storm. You know, put Jesus in your boat, that sort of thing. Yeah. And you know, you have to sympathize because. You know, the Lord does promise to be with us and help us and so on and show us mercy and grace, kindness. But um, if if you take a look at it, for example, um, I think I wrote down, or maybe I didn't write it down. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a passage in Psalm 107, and I don't know if I know the exact verse, which really tells us what Jesus was trying to do when he uh, calmed the storm, what we're supposed to get out of that. Huh. And it's not a personal application, but uh, if I can find it real quickly here, um, let me see if I can find the verse. Yes, here it is. Psalm 107, starting with verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. So if you think about the disciples in the boat, hmm. when the storm, that, that was their situation. Yeah. You know, one when one of the Gospels, you know, the, the disciples say, don't you care that we're, I think that's when Jesus was asleep in the boat. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't all have him asleep in the boat, but that that one was when he was asleep in the boat. I'm in favor of taking naps, by the way. Yes. Yeah, Jesus and, proved that. And so they said, <laughs> don't you care that we're perishing? So they were at their wit's end. Uh, then it says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to the desired haven. Now, if you read the story in the Gospel of John, uh, it doesn't even say that he calmed the storm. It just says that he walked on the water, he got in the boat with them, hmm. and then they were at their destination. Hmm. So that whole incident is really a fulfillment of what the Psalms say, hmm. and what it's, what it's designed to do is to show us that Jesus is God. Right. Because God raises the storm, and God quiets the storm and gets them to their destination. So that's just one example of how, uh, meaning well, uh, yeah. many teachers and preachers use a text to make a personal application 
and to do it in a wrong way, that, that the application of that is not Jesus is going to get in my boat and yeah. he's going to calm my storm. But what you just said but, there about how um, <clears throat> the main purpose of that story is to prove to us yet again that Jesus was God. Exactly. Was God in human flesh on earth. That's right. So that's a really key thing we're going to go back to over and over again. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to the Bible to find something out about yourself and how Jesus is there to meet all your needs and to make your dreams come true or to be your life coach or whatever, mm -hmm. you're you're already starting with an interpretive lens that you probably don't realize is is there. That's right. But you're looking to find something and and unfortunately we as humans we can see things that aren't there because we want to. Yes. Which goes back to this whole idea of it being this personal thing mm -hmm. where it's a mystical thing. That's right. It's not objective. It's something that it happens inside of you. And the, and, and, and the Bible is there just to back up that internal thing. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to the second thing I was thinking of as we were going to do this. And that is this idea that all interpretations that came before me are irrelevant. So it's, it's, it's what matters to me that it's important. And part of the reason I think people come to that conclusion is that they say that they should be rejecting the teachings of men, which is actually something that we are told in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So the assumption is anybody that has ever taught about the Bible outside of the Bible itself is the teachings of men. Therefore, we don't need to listen to Martin Luther or any other mm -hmm. theologian who's ever lived, which, yes. which is like just chopping yourself off at the kneecaps and then you say i want to learn all about the bible but you don't want to learn from anybody else except you in your own head and the right. bible itself right um along with that is this there tends to be a real rejection of any kind of denominational or especially any kind of a confessional belief and, and we've pointed this out in the show here and there if you if you just want to be a, i just i just want the bible i just want to believe in the bible that's great Nobody really disagrees with that, but what, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm the only person that can really interpret it, or maybe me and my tiny little group with maybe my little pastor and, and everyone else is irrelevant to me. So it's very me-centric, Yes. and it's also it's anti-intellectual and it's anti-history. It is. Which is a big thing that you and I talk about all the time. If you, if you want to reject all of church history, again, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. It's not helping you. When you say, oh, all the people that taught in the church history, they're all teachers of men. They're all men and they're teachers, so they're the, teach the teachings of men. Right, right. So the teachings of men was actually referring to the people who were deviating from the Bible. That's right. It wasn't about people who were teaching the Bible. It was about people who were deviating from the teachings of God's Word. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't want to go too far on this tangent, but um, this idea that pop evangelicalism is anti-intellectual, and we'll talk about this more. Mm -hmm. We're not totally pro-intellectual, like it's nothing but intellectual, which it's not. There is there is a Holy Spirit. There is yes. There is something supernatural happening when we are inspired through God's Word, and the Holy Spirit is the one that makes all that happen. So we're not saying that intellectualism is all that we believe in. There is a place where you, we would both say you can go too far in being too intellectual and trying to fill in the missing spaces there where the Bible is not clear. We try to add to it to make it more clear, which mm -hmm. is, an, I think, an example of being too intellectual. Well, I can, I can give a personal example okay. of that. I, uh, I went to graduate school with a, a fellow who, who was supposedly an evangelical Christian, at least when, uh, when I knew him in school. And sometime after we had both graduated uh, from a doctoral program, 
I, I had, had called him up just to touch base with him because I had known him fairly well. And as we were talking, the subject came up of of uh, the spiritual life or, or the way of, of looking at Scripture, which he was teaching somewhere at the time, and I was a pastor. And his comment to me was that he didn't really care about the spiritual aspect. He just, he just saw it as information. Really? Yes. So uh, that wasn't his exact words, yeah. but something along those lines. And, and in my pursuit of, of uh, theology, I've known a number of people and read a number of people who had that view that it's just it's it's information it's something yeah. it's something that you learn and something that you it's pass fascinating on. and yes but and it it's, is it, but it's not it's not anything that really is personal in, to you it's, it's not based in, in actual reality yeah that, that it, the world just came it, about somehow and right. people developed myths about God and right. it points to our human psychology and maybe our evolutionary process mm -hmm. or whatever but it's not actually about a real God who came in human flesh. Yes. I remember uh, the guy, uh, I don't remember his name now, but do you remember for a while before the internet got so big, there was a thing called the Great Courses? It's a, it was like a, a company that had a really great idea. You would buy either, originally it was cassette tapes and then VHS mm. tapes, and then it was CDs or DVDs, and you could buy courses on all different topics. Yeah, I think I remember hearing about and that. I used to get their catalogs and go, oh, that'd be really great to learn. I don't have $300. Oh, that'd be great <laughs> to learn. I don't have $300. So I never got very right, many of right. them. But yeah. the guy that I saw, I think it was because he was somebody put him up on YouTube, but he was talking about how he used to be either an evangelical or a fundamentalist, or basically he was a Bible-believing Christian. He wasn't anymore, hmm. but he still loved the Bible. And he was he was probably a good teacher, but I'm like, click. I'm sorry. I, right. I don't I don't want to get my information from somebody like that, <clears throat> at least not very much. I mean, there might be a little yep. bitter piece there of historical things that are useful. You know, and, and those people could be honest. It doesn't mean that they're jerks and they're, mm -hmm. you know, nasty. They're just, they've given up on the faith. That's right. And it's all intellectual. So that would be way over at the extreme. Yeah, well, there there are a lot of public universities who might have a course, uh, let's say, on the Bible as history. Right. That type of thing. And whenever you see that kind of a title, then you know that they're just approaching it as a world religion or yeah. something on par with Hinduism or anything else, yeah. Buddhism. And or, if, they, if, they, if they could possibly do mm -hmm. it well, they would do it in such a way that the people leaving that class would go, oh, I understand what these people believe better. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I can yes. now choose if I want to learn sure. more on my own or attend some churches. Yep. But I think most of the time they go away going, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know about those crazy religious kooks. Yeah, most I don't want to be uh, one of those. Yeah, most of those classes would be uh, just just oriented toward the informational aspect. You know, this is right. this is what it says. These are, hard, these are hard, how the myths <clears throat> developed over time. Right, that type this. of thing. Okay, sure. so going back to this thing. I started talking about this mystical understanding of the Bible, mm -hmm. in fact, mystical understanding of the Christian life in general, and then this idea that the only interpretation that matters is my personal uh, application, and I, I really don't want to be connected to anything that took place in the past. Um, and I think it, and I, I bring this up in our show as well, this idea that it's, it's, it's a really, at least it's a good starting point to say, okay, I need to find what church I want to go to. A lot of you in our audience, you, you found out that your church is really not biblical, and you left, and that's good. And you're asking, well, now where do I go? 
Mm-hmm. My answer as a Lutheran would say, well, go to a good confessional Lutheran church. And that's, I mean that, but I don't want you to just take my word for it. And I don't want you to take his word for it or anybody's word for it. You know, and if somebody was of another denomination and they said, no, I think you should be a Reformed Baptist like I am. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't just jump in because you like them. You should actually be willing to consider, well, what are the difference, differences between, and, and the reason they're called confessions is because when originally the Lutheran church split from the Roman Catholic church, they were like, well, what do we believe? Since we're not Roman Catholic, what are mm-hmm. we? So they had to write it down. They had to defend their faith. And they had a series of dialogues over a period of about 50 years. And they referred to them as, these are our confessions. Mm-hmm. You could also say it's a type of creed, but it's more detailed than a creed. Much more. Yeah, a creed tends well, to be the, a summary. A, the, an explanation of the creed is part of the confessions. Right, exactly. Yeah, so uh, so mm-hmm. when, when you hear somebody say, I'm a confessional Presbyterian, that that's a really good thing. That means you're not just a Presbyterian because the the pastor in your town is good at telling jokes and he happens to be a Presbyterian, which is not really being Presbyterian. If you're going to be Presbyterian, do it because you understand that they actually hold to a confessional series of beliefs. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're really going to take your faith, I, I would say, serious as somebody who really wants to know what kind of church should I go to, don't study the churches that are near you. Study the various original Protestant confessional beliefs. And then see which confessional beliefs you you feel most strongly are biblical. Of course, I would say that I, I feel that the, the Lutheran ones are most biblical. And I totally respect the other ones. And I have friends who are in those other mm-hmm. confessional belief systems. And there is a lot of overlap between all of us. So it's not like we're talking about, you know, apples and oranges. But um, if you don't have even the knowledge of what I just gave you, and you say, I just want to believe the Bible. I just want to go to a Bible-believing church. This is the one of the most frustrating things about our channel is that in doing that thing, you are only creating a new denomination, right? That's right. You're, you're, you're just saying, I don't want to know what anybody else believes. I just want to look at the Bible and figure it out all over again for me and my little group, perhaps, which means you're probably going to have something slightly different than something that already exists. When it would be so much yep. easier if you looked at all of the church history and said, well, what have people already come up with? That maybe I would go, oh, well, that lines up with Scripture really well. Maybe I'll go to one of those churches since there's one in my town anyway, you know? Yes. But you've got to figure that stuff out, and, and that takes time. So I, I'm sorry to go on that tangent, but I, in terms of this whole topic, if somebody says to me, well, what kind of church should I go to? Or I don't know what kind of study Bible to get. Or I don't know, uh, you know, like, who, who can I trust? My easy answer for you as a confessional Lutheran who holds to the Book of Concord would be, well, get the Lutheran Study Bible, go to a confessional Lutheran church. Goodbye. We're done. <laughs> and I could do that. And there, there would be nothing wrong with that. But it's just it, there's, because most people don't even know what those words mean. That's right. And they're, they're actually, they're, they, te- they have a tendency to be anti-intellectual, anti-history, anti-denominational. It sounds like I'm saying do the thing that you're opposed to. And mm-hmm. so that's why I think doing this study will help us to go into more detail as to why actually a confessional church 
is going to serve you, I think, the mm -hmm. best in the long run, and is actually going to be more biblical. It's grounded not only in the Bible, but it's been around a long time because yeah. things that are true from the Bibles tend to kind of stay at the surface of things, even though they might get diminished here and there. Like, for instance, Lutherans got super liberal. There's still a lot of... Some yeah. some have, yes. And some Presbyterians have. Everybody. There's, there's mm. super liberal Baptists, mm -hmm. and it's really sad that that happens. But that's not the fault of the original beliefs of those denominations or those synods. It's yeah. because they were altered over time by people who liberalized them. Yes. But when I was an evangelical, and I was a non-denominational evangelical, I would have thought, oh, Lutherans are liberal. I would have thought Presbyterians or, um, uh, what's the other, um, I wouldn't have said Anglican because we don't really use that term Episcopalian? in America. Episcopalians? Yeah, Episcopalians, I would have said, oh yeah, I think those are all liberal. Well, unfortunately, I think most of them are today. Some but, are. But that wasn't the case originally, not at all. Yeah, I so. think uh, when I was an evangelical and a pastor, d different evangelical traditions, uh, I knew, you know, my wife came from a Lutheran background, but I didn't really understand it. I knew about it, um, but I, I didn't know that much about it. Yeah, so I think that's the case with, uh, just speaking of, of uh, I'm, I'm a confessional Lutheran. I belong to a Missouri Synod Church uh, in Elgin, Illinois. And, um, I, uh, you know, until I started investigating, because I got frustrated with the direction of, of the American church, evangelical churches in general. Yeah. And I started doing some research, and I came across confessional Lutheranism. And it was already an expression of some of the things that I had already uh, come to a conclusion about on my own, just through my own study of Scripture and teaching and preaching. And uh, so I was attracted to it in that way. But uh, me too. I, That's actually true yeah. with me. I, I just like, thought oh, of yeah. something. I've always kind of thought that now, was Steve, the way. Steve is the artist, and I'm not an artist. Uh -oh. But I was just going to draw something. You know, go for it. I don't know how many times you've heard this expression. I've heard it many times. Don't put God in a box. Hang on, hang on. Okay. I got, I got something for you. You do? Okay. <laughs> oh, that that pen does not work. Okay. There's the box. Plug it, please. <laughs> There's God in a box. <laughs> okay, here. Okay, so here's our box. Okay, so you've heard this expression, don't those put are, God in a box. Those are nice straight lines for a non-artist. Yeah, not bad. Okay, not bad. so, and I'm not I'm not an artist, so, so let's do this. Okay, so here's our idealized Bible here. Okay, so here's the box. This is God's box. Hmm. Okay, so we need to understand that. So when we talk about confessions and we talk about the Bible, really we're talking about the box God has put himself in. Yes, I And like this that. is the box that God has put himself in, is the Holy Scriptures. And so uh, everybody says, don't put God in a box. But this, anytime we go outside of this box, we're in danger. Hmm. So if I say, well... If I say what is inside of me, and the you know the scripture says the Holy Spirit lives within us, and that is true. Mm -hmm. But if we say, well, the Holy Spirit deals with me or speaks to me outside of this, that's where the error begins. The Holy Spirit told me to divorce. That's right. My spouse. And so, uh, you know, we Lutherans like to talk about Luther a lot, not because he's our God or anything. And Lutheran was a Luther was a human, and he said some things that we wouldn't necessarily agree with. Yeah. Uh, however, he said some things that are very wise, and he said that anytime we do this, 
he called it enthusiasm and we have a slightly different take on that did I spell it right? Enthusiasm. So. We have a slightly different take on that word today, meaning that we're all excited about right. something. What what this really means, and means in, and this means God. So God being in me, huh. that uh, if taken to to the extreme that a lot of churches are taking it today, it means that uh, I can I can speak things, I can hear things, um, I I I can. Uh, prophesy. I can. I, I can have things come out of me that are outside of this box that God has put Himself right. in. And Luther said that's a path to heresy. Here's a really good example of this idea of enthusiasm or having God speak internally to us. Primarily, understanding the Scriptures is a good thing, but when we don't understand it, it's dangerous. Walking in the Spirit is more important. That was a comment on a video just in the past few days. And that's yeah. true. Yeah. So any any of the heresies, whether whether they're Protestant or Roman Catholic heresies, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, almost all of them are mm. generated from this subjective approach to the faith, where I say that well, the Spirit is in me, so therefore uh, I can just generate out of myself spiritual truth. So here's a here's um, a here's a bit of a maybe maybe this is too much of a tangent, <clears throat> but. This is where our Catholic and Orthodox friends would say, that's where we got you Protestants beat. Mm -hmm. Because we are addressing a very serious problem, and it's, it seems to be getting only worse as time goes by, that the Protestant church is getting more and more splintered, mm -hmm. and frankly more weird, yes, and more unbiblical. At the same time, it continues to call itself biblical. Both the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church would say, well, we have the church that helps us to stay within this box. They would say that it's the Bible and the church itself, mm -hmm. not the church in general, but their church. The Orthodox would say yes. it's us, and the Roman Catholics would say it's them. And I'm yeah. summarizing very, very broadly here of a gigantic church bodies with millions That's and right. millions of people. But um, that is an attractive idea, the idea it that... Is. I'm confused about what the Bible says. It seems like uh, you know we all are arguing about it, if we could go to a church where the church just tells us this is what it means, trust us, because we are the church. And we have this incredibly important role, and that is to help you understand exactly what it means so you don't have to try to figure it out anymore. Mm -hmm. That's very attractive. It is attractive, and, and that's when you're talking about confessions, that's what a confession does. A confession takes the historic creeds and, and the Lord's Prayer, yeah. uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, which are given to us, uh, you know, the the teachings of the creed are are scriptural teachings, and the creed has been written to counteract heresy in the history of the church. So you have the Nicene Creed was basically written because there was a heresy that said that Jesus Christ was not eternally God. Uh, it was called Arianism because the fellow who was preaching it and teaching it was named Arius. The original Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. And uh, he said that Jesus uh, Christ was, uh, the Word of God was uh, made, was the first creation. And the church said no. And uh, at the Council of Nicaea, they met and they condemned Arius' teaching and they came up with the, with the Nicene Creed. And uh, there are other creeds as well. And if you go back in history, this is where history is our friend. Mm -hmm. Because it shows us that the various heresies, for example, there were those who denied the Trinity. 
and that was condemned as a heresy, mm -hmm. the denial of the Trinity. And so in the creeds, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are basically the three parts of the creed. I believe in the Father, I believe in the Son, I believe in the Spirit. And so those are, if you just take a look at the Apostles' Creed, probably the shortest one we have, uh, that's mm -hmm. the three divisions of the creed. And so uh, that's what the confessions do. The confessions say, here is what is heresy, here is what is unbiblical, and then here is what is biblical. And it's yeah. not just based on the mind of Luther or something like that. Right. It's it's based on Scripture, uh, what the what the church councils and the church throughout history has had to deal with and wrestle with, and define as true from Scripture. And it takes all of that information and puts it into uh, a book, uh, several documents, and it says, "Okay, here here is God's box." Is yeah. basically what it's saying. So the confessions are not man's doctrine, but they're distillation of the teaching of Scripture. And uh, Define the, that term, distillation, or like a summary. Yeah, a summary. Uh, and it's you know, really important to understand yes. that people didn't have the Bibles because, mm -hmm. number one, they didn't have printing resources like we have That's today. Right. And they didn't. many people didn't read and write in, in yep. a lot of the cultures mm -hmm. where Christianity spread. So they had to have a simple way to express the essence, the core of the faith. And so creeds yep. were incredibly important, and everybody yep. memorized them and recited them and really treasured them. Yes, It wasn't like, this is the teachings of men. So to, to call the creeds the teachings of men, I, I know why people do that, and we hear mm -hmm. things like that in the comments. But again, I think your little phrase there, history is our friend. Yes. I, I, I would love to just repeat that on YouTube a hundred times a day, because yep. there is this fear that... Um, I think there's kind of like this idea that some Christians believe the Bible just kind of fell out of heaven and just mm -hmm. landed in somebody's hand one day, and we don't have any connection to history as a result. All we got to do is just read that book and mm -hmm. kind of figure it out for ourselves. And then we, again, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by ignoring all of the history mm -hmm. that came before us and all the men who came before us. Um, you just said something a minute ago that reminded me of one of the things on my note. Give me a second here. Okay. I think we, I think we covered that. Mm -hmm. So when, when, when you hear us talking about interpreting the Bible for the rest of our time, we're not saying it just because you went to a school or you went to a church or you mm -hmm. know this one guy who wrote this one book and he's got right. the right idea. It's a whole big body of belief that's come to us through the entire history of the church. Mm -hmm. Even the Lutheran faith was really careful to say, we're not going to just start from scratch. We're not going to ignore everything that was ever taught before us. We're just going to make right. corrections to what we believe were the errors in the Roman Catholic Church. Yes, the, the, the Lutherans were somewhat unique from the time of the Reformation. And, and I'm going to use a big word here, and I'll explain it. They were not iconoclasts. Uh, if, if you look at the radical reformers, the Anabaptists and so on, they wanted to tear down everything. Right. They were they were anti-authoritarian uh, right. too. Right. Anti-authoritarian. Like any, no authority uh, at all. It's just me and anti-organized church, basically, uh, anti-symbols, uh, and and if you look at the the Calvinists, the what what is today known as the Reformed or the Calvinist mm -hmm. people, they uh, and, and I've even heard some today, and some of you listening may be in this camp, and I, I'm not trying to insult you or anything, but. Uh, just as a point of history, uh, they tended to want to say that uh, the commandment not to make any image referred to all 
Christian symbols. That's right. Crosses, yeah. uh, any any Christian symbol, and uh, and so they they tended to want to do away with those. The Lutheran reformers did not do that. Uh, basically, they said many of these things are helpful for teaching. Uh, so even even the crucifix. Uh, the church that I'm a member of has a crucifix on the wall. And uh, many Protestants would be taken aback by that because I remember growing up being taught, well, Jesus is not on the cross, so we have an empty cross. And while that is true, the crucifix with Christ on it is a symbol of what he has done for us. Mm -hmm. That's and, all it is. And we don't worship it. Exactly. We don't bow down to it. We just we look at it and say, yes, that's what Jesus did for me. I should be up there. You know, if you want to look at it, that and some way. Lutheran churches don't have a crucifix. no, many do it's, not. That there's a whole category mm. of something that's called um, adiaphora. Adiaphora. It's neither here nor there. Right. You can do it or not do it. We have freedom. That's right. It's freedom. Freedom in Christ. If the Bible said, "Don't oh. ever have mm. a statue of Jesus in your church," I'm telling you, we would never. No, we would not. Yeah, our church just has a simple cross so. up there because mine's a little bit more new. Right. It tends to be the older mm. churches were more ornate. Yep. Which I actually really like. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen Chris Roseborough's services. Uh, I think I saw one of them. Because I've been there a couple of times. And it's, okay. it's an older, you know, like... Um, it's out in the country. Out in the middle of nowhere. I think yeah. it's over 100 years old. I think it goes back to the late 1800s. But they have, he calls it Norwegian Jesus. Yes. The statue's been yes. there forever. Sure. And he takes a lot of heat for it, but nobody's worshiping that. No. And he, he's not uh, saying that, you know... This is what we do, and everyone else should be doing it too. It's actually right. something that was part of the church before he ever got there. Mm -hmm. So sure. it's it's adiaphora. It's neither here That's nor right. there. It's not something that God says mm -hmm. you can't do, and it's also something that God doesn't say you better do that. It's it could be either one. And That's there's right. a lot of areas in church practices where that's a really healthy place to mm -hmm. be. And I I think um, you know to to go to somebody who whose church is different than yours and to realize. Oh, I guess you could do it that way because mm -hmm. the Bible doesn't say you can't. Sure. Now, if you're going to a church and is doing something that's clearly unbiblical, right? That's where you could obviously draw a line. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if if we don't if we don't take church history seriously and we don't understand it, then we'll fight the same battles over again. Yes. So the battle's already been fought about the two natures of Christ. That that battle's already been fought, and the church has already declared that the apostolic teaching is right. Christ is fully God and fully man. He's both. We had a comment just in the um, last week about so, somebody who saw mm. that we referenced the truthfulness of the Trinity, and and this woman seemed really mm -hmm. sweet and made a comment about how just follow the Bible. Don't right. You know, the Trinity is, isn't in the Bible. I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, the people who invented the Trinity also canonized the books of the Bible. So if you get rid of the Trinity, right. you really need to get rid of the the Bible that you're using to say yes. there's no such thing as a Trinity, yep. which is actually presented all over the Bible. It's just not the word Trinity. Yeah, well, some, some teachings in Scripture are, uh, you know, people will say, and uh, non-Trinitarian people will say, well, the word Trinity is not in there. Well, yeah, it's, it's true. There was, I think, a fellow in the second century, was it Theophilus of Antioch? It might have been him. I'm trying to remember my church history classes here. <laughs> but... Uh, who was the first one to actually use that word? It's it's a Latin word. It just has the implication of being three. Um, so a unity of three. Yeah, a three unity of three. So uh, yeah, but if if you read the New Testament, 
it's really clear that there's a Father who's God, a Son who's God, and the Spirit who's God. And that's what the creeds say. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator you know, of heaven and earth. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and so on, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then I believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and so you it's, know that, it's really interesting. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you saw this, but I think it was a couple of years ago they did it again. I know they did it about six or seven years ago. It's one of those Christian um, uh, survey taking organizations mm-hmm. where they go like out, Barna or somebody. Yeah, and in uh, Ligonier Ministries, oh okay, they did a um, they, they did a video on it. Um, I haven't watched it for a while. It's in a playlist somewhere. I've got so many videos now i can't keep track mm. of them all but yeah. they went out and just interviewed people about some of the the most basic things like uh was jesus god or was he man mm-hmm. or uh did jesus ever sin or uh do you believe in the you know the most fundamental things that are in the creeds all mm-hmm. the things that the creeds teach were basically the foundation of their questions and people who claim to be christians were all giving terrible answers <laughs> most of them were wrong I think I heard about that yeah. survey. Uh-huh. And, and it just made the point that for decades now, I think to a large extent, American evangelicals and probably other places around the world have said, we don't need creeds. We, you know, that's just yeah. reciting some dead old thing from a long time ago. And it's not even in the Bible anyway, so mm-hmm. we can just throw that away. Well, here's the result. We have people calling themselves yeah. Christians who don't even know the most basic fundamental beliefs of what it supposedly means to be Christian, but you don't believe those things, so... Yeah. What does it even mean to be a Christian? It's so... That's right. It's it, like, it's whatever you want it to be now. That's that's basically what it's boiled down to in a lot of cases. Not every case, but yeah. uh, there are many churches that have sound doctrinal statements and go by them. And uh, they may not be confessions per se, but... But they're, they're but, just the bare minimum. Yeah, uh, oftentimes the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what confessions do. You know, we need a guide... If, if we're going to talk about interpreting the Bible, you need an interpretive guide, an interpretive framework. You do. You do. And, and, and if you say you don't, it's because you want to use your interpretive yeah, framework. It's, that's right. It, it, you're you're going to still use one whether you admit to it or not is the real issue. And if you don't have one that you, you get from a confession or from creeds, you're going to have your own. And you're going to impose your... Uh, your framework uh, upon the scriptures, you're, you're going to be saying, well, this is what I want it to be. And so when I read it, I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going to slant it, which sounds harsh, but that's exactly what happens with us when, when we don't have a confessional statement, when we don't have at least a, a, a solid creed, one of the historic creeds mm-hmm. or something like that to guide us, then we are just going to impose our own feelings, our own subjective desires mm-hmm. on, on the scriptures, and that's just what we're going to do. So you've talked about confirmation bias before, mm-hmm. and that's a very real thing in life, yep. and it's certainly true in scripture interpretation. We have our biases, we have things that we want to be true, and if we don't have an objective guide in interpreting scripture, then what we're going to do is we're going to look for things that confirm our biases. And, and that's and what we do. And, and surprise, you're going to find them. And we will find them. Yeah. And if you listen to a lot of sermons, uh, TV preachers, or maybe your own pastor, uh, all of us who have been, I've been a pastor, I was a pastor for over 20 years in different churches. 
And there are times when we're all going to do that, whether in our private devotions or even in our public ministry, we're going to find those things and talk about those things that confirm our biases. So that's why we have, uh, for example, a lectionary in my church, where yeah. there are readings for each day of the year that keeps the pastor from riding his hobby horses. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. And another way that uh, people say you can avoid that is by having a pure expository preaching right. where you simply go through an entire book or a series right. of books. But they're both trying to do the same thing. Exactly. They're putting parameters on the preacher so he doesn't go off and exactly. tell everybody off. Yep. <laughs> or because manipulate I, people. You know, I, I, know of, I know of a number of uh, uh, preachers who go around and preach at different churches, and one in particular that I know, all he ever talks about is witnessing to people. Hmm. That's all he ever talks about. And the pastor who brings him in is probably going, this could help my church. So yeah, they want sure. him to come and talk about his his favorite thing. Because that's his spiritual gift. That's what he does. He goes everywhere and he witnesses to everybody he can. He prays with them. And hmm. uh, so when he talks, he, he he just talks about his own particular proclivity, what he likes to do. Which isn't really a pastor. And he says, speaker. everybody should do this. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but there again, it's... And, and he finds scripture passages that to preach about that bring this out. So, hmm. uh, you know, that happens. That happens to all of us. And, uh, you know, another, another old Latin saying is lex orandi, lex credendi, which means the law of prayer, the law of worship is the law of faith. Hmm. So whatever we're used to doing in our church, used to worshiping in a certain way, that tends to be integrated with our faith. And so if we go to another place or, or something changes, we take that as an assault on our faith. Yeah. So uh, it's very, it's, it's amazing how much animosity can be, especially in a social media format where people yes. aren't in, in, in face to face relationship. They just type out the meanest things. And I know I've been guilty of that too, because, you know, you, you, you tend to really feel strongly about your beliefs. And mm -hmm. when somebody says something that conflicts with your beliefs or even uh, causes you to maybe doubt your beliefs, mm -hmm. For most people, it makes them uncomfortable, and when we're uncomfortable, we want to fight. We don't want yes. to. We don't want to consider. We want to That's right. punch you in the nose. Right. Which is really embarrassing as Christians, you know. That's right. The, we're the ones who're supposed, <laughs> supposed to love each other more. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not the best at this either, because you know our our show is kind of confrontational, but mm. we're doing it with you know gigantic mega pastors who are making themselves rich. Mm -hmm. So I think they deserve to be treated the way they are. But you know, in person to person relationships. I'm not like that at all. The way we do our shows, especially the hit the bar ones mm -hmm. where we're just kind of laughing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm not that way with people in general. I have all sorts of friends and all sorts of different religious backgrounds. I still have friends from our old charismatic church. I love them dearly. Mm -hmm. I would never mm -hmm. be mean to them. Right. You know, so um, I don't know how we got on that tangent, but... I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, that's to be expected. Right, let me see if there's something else and I'm going to let you go on your thing. Okay. Oh, yeah, this is another category. And maybe we'll get to this... Um, we talked about this at lunch. Just this idea that if you see the Bible primarily as a as a book of magic incantations, almost mm -hmm. like a, a lucky charm, uh, it starts with a, a number of assumptions. One of which is, well, if there is a God, then He's in my camp. He's in favor of me. He loves me. He wants me to do well. Mm -hmm. He wants me to prosper. You know, there's a million ways you can say that. Therefore, if this is God's word 
then the purpose of it must be to give me what I want in life, to, to answer my prayers, to give me things that I need. And there's mm-hmm. some truth to that. We don't sure. think that God is constantly withholding everything from us. Sure. He does at times bless us and all that. And he does want to answer our prayers, but sometimes his answer is no. Mm-hmm. But especially in the charismatic world, it's really bad. It's really bad. This idea that, you know, uh, you just pull this one verse out and it, is completely extracted from its original meaning. Yes. And you say that means that I'm going to have a new house, <laughs> you know, or I'm going to travel the world. Yeah, you. I, I've done that before in my past. I, I have done that. Looked at a verse and said, oh, yeah, this is telling me to do such and such. So I, a lot of what I, when I was trying to summarize these bad foundational ideas, I think it goes back to almost always the Bible is really about me. Mm-hmm. If you think the Bible is really about you, and of course there is a way you can say the Bible is about you, because it's about man and mankind, right? Or God and mankind, all you know the the two, you know. But the relationship is not. We're all just doing great together. It's right, us and right. God. It's actually about mankind failing God. It's about mankind mm-hmm. being in rebellion against God, and God constantly redeeming us until He redeems us for sure on the cross. Mm-hmm. So that is about us, but it's also it about our sin and our need for a Savior. So, That's right. So, yeah, is the Bible about us only in that way? Yeah. It, it, you know, what, what, what we see often in, in the church these days, and, and this isn't just a modern thing. It, it's been around for a long time, uh, probably even since the beginning in various ways. But uh, to take my own self and put me in every verse— and try to say, well, what does this verse say that applies to me directly? Application is a really tricky thing. Yes. And and many churches, I think particularly the larger called seeker churches or, or whatever you want to call them, that are trying to attract or attractional churches. Yeah. They're trying to attract the non-Christian, the unchurched, whatever you want to call people on the outside of the church that really don't have a church or don't attend, um, is... They they take every scripture and try to make a practical, moral, actional application from it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So uh, one example, I, I heard a sermon in in one of those large from one of those large churches, where the person took uh, where Jesus ate with the tax collectors and sinners, which he did several times, mm-hmm. and so. The person said, well, this is supposed to tell you that you're supposed to invite people, unlike yourself, over to your house for dinner to witness to them. Hmm. Okay, well, that might be a good idea to do, but that's not what that passage is about. Right. Okay, so... You're trying to, you're trying to turn it into a prescription for exactly. specifically what to do with your life when it's really a description of something that took place in the life of Jesus. Right. Yeah. And if you were to apply that, you could say, well, I'm a tax collector and a sinner, and I ought to repent. <laughs> that's that's really more of the, the application of that. So that's just one example, maybe a mild example, but yeah, the, ch- that, churches that are or people that are looking for these kinds of uh, everything has to apply to us will take every passage and, and, and make it so that it does that. Right, like the Bible is a user's manual for life. Right, and not that that's, that's not a heresy, Right. But it's just a, a kind of twisting of, of what is in the text. It's going too far. Yes, it's going beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly, you know, if, again, this is a matter of Christian freedom. If I want to invite 
people unlike myself over to my house for dinner. Sure. I'm free to do that. If if I want to do that in order to uh, w introduce them to Christ, that's a fine thing to do. You can also invite me over for dinner. Yeah, I you could. Know, I'm not a tax uh, collector. But that tax <laughs> does not mandate me to do that. And mandate that, is the key That's word. where yeah. the problem comes in, is that you lay a guilt trip on people. Well, Jesus did this, mm -hmm. so now I'm obligated to do mm -hmm. the same thing. And, and that's one of the errors in interpreting the Gospels, is, and, and, and there are a lot of people out there doing this, where we have to do exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did miracles, we have to do miracles. Yes. That, that's one of, one of the, uh, unfortunately, really bad things that's being taught. Well, that video I just put up so, last week was the, the one about um, Matthew 10, 8, that, that when Jesus sends out the, the 12 on that one specific mission, these guys are saying that's what everybody should be doing. Right. Well, they ignore half of his exactly. specific instructions. Sure. And only pick the ones that they, you know, like yep. heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. I mean... Raise the dead. If, yeah, raise the dead. I don't see a lot of lenser cleansing, leper cleansing, le lezer, <laughs> leper cleansing <laughs> and dead raising. Lezer clepping. Lezer yes. clepping. <laughs> well, I mean, how many dead people are being raised? I... It, it, and it's always a story of it happening, yes. never actually video footage, even though everybody's got a video camera yeah. in their pocket nowadays. I mean, I used to hear about, I, I haven't heard this for a while, but I used to hear stories. They say, well, in Africa, these people are being raised from the dead, or in India or someplace. It's usually some third world country. And, and it could happen. It I could mean, be. God can raise some the dead. Some of it could be true. I'm, you know, I'm guessing God is still able to raise the dead he if is. he wants to. But uh, is this happening on a large scale? Is it? This is where this is where this this uh, I want the Bible to say this for whatever reason, and and so I'm going to uh, keep saying this that we have to do miracles because Jesus did miracles and so on. Uh, again, you know, That's, like the go ahead the WWJD bracelet. What yeah. would Jesus do? There's a passing fad. It's gone now. But people were wearing these things, and everybody was selling them, all the gift Shel shops. Shelton. Remember, was that the guy who wrote the book about 100 years earlier? Yeah, there was a, yeah. It was an um, anti-alcohol crusade. That's where was, the original um, What Would Jesus Do idea came from. Yeah, yeah. I can't, what was the title of that book? I've forgotten now. I, used <laughs> I got so many books uh, in my brain. Yeah, I can't remember now. But Sheldon? Yeah, I, I read the book uh, years and years ago, but I can't... Uh, it's amazing. In know, his steps. In his steps. In his steps. Which has so, probably got some good stuff. Yeah, But I'm overall, sure it, does. it kind of implies that we're supposed to do everything Jesus did. And he's primarily seen as a role model, yes. which actually wasn't in my list. But it does go along with this idea that the Bible is a user's manual. So when you read mm -hmm. stories of anybody doing anything, you could turn that into, well, that's what I guess I'm supposed to do. Uh -huh. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just could be a story right. about something that took place. Until the Bible actually tells you to do these things, mm -hmm. you shouldn't just jump to that conclusion. Uh, and examples of that, I'm surprised you hadn't heard of this book, but there was a book, and I'm pretty sure it was way back in the 30s, but maybe it was in the 50s, but it was called Something Like Jesus Was the Greatest Salesman Who Ever Lived. And it's a real book. It wasn't It wasn't a joke. <laughs> Sounds like the Babylon Bee, actually. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. But there was a time... Yeah, I never heard of that book. I, so, some guy wrote a book about... Who was that? Something about the greatest salesman that a lot of Christians used. But yes, that was that was another one. That was a secular book. That was a secular book that yeah. a lot of Christians yeah. used. Um, yeah. The idea that Jesus is your life coach is really okay. popular. And then uh, Andy Stanley just recently has said things, basically saying that 
you know, being a Christian is so attractive. There's so many benefits that you should want to become a Christian even if you don't really want to become a Christian. You should just want to do the things that Christians do because it's going to make your life better. Hmm. Which he, he was basically, in my mind, after having listened to him a, a number of times, I'm like, I think he's just embarrassed by the cross. I don't think he wants to talk about religious <clears throat> stuff, like Jesus atoning for the sins of mankind or anything. He yeah. just wants to make it all positive and, again, attractional. Right. I can't, I mean, I can't speak for for what's really in his mind. Just from what I've heard, it seems that he went off to college and he heard the scientific critiques of, uh, uh, of biblical history and so on and believed it and felt that, well, we can't preach this, we can't teach this because people will see that it's not true. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so we can't do that. that, that so you got to polish it up a bit. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't yeah. speak for but him. But it does seem like he's doing. But that. it just from listening to him, and I think there are a lot of Christians that are in that camp. Uh, you know, progressive Christianity is in that camp. Mm -hmm. The old, old-fashioned liberalism—that's that's where they were. Right. They said, "Well, science has shown this, and so therefore we, we have to yield the Genesis account has to conform to evolutionary." teaching and so forth so uh you know it's a common thing it's, and if you uh, don't know history going back to our previous idea you yeah. might see one of those things and go oh this new thing is happening either it's yes. really bad or it's really good but it's shocking me and right. and if you if you understood more of what's already taken place you'd go oh yeah <laughs> he's doing yeah. that thing again yeah. that, that was done in the year 397 and it was done in the year 1823 it's the same you know there's there's yeah. so many things there's only so many errors that keep getting rebranded or retread like yeah. a, like an old tire that they used to retread tires yep that's um, right then the, the last thing on my list i think i have here is um if we look for some kind of an interpretive lens the lens of law and gospel is something mm -hmm. they've, they've certainly heard on my channel they've heard it from chris roseborough yep. And I, I, I think I probably heard it first from Chris. And unfortunately, the modern evangelical church, even though they claim that Luther is the founder of their Protestant yeah. faith, they don't really know hardly anything that Luther taught. And this no. is one of the most important things. And they certainly don't go by what he taught. No, because if you believe that the gospel is something you hear one time, you raise your hand or whatever, you say a prayer, you ask Jesus in your heart, or you make a commitment to Christ, and then you never hear the gospel again, the rest of everything you see in the Bible is law. Even like what you said about the epistles that Paul wrote, where he starts with doctrine and then he moves mm -hmm. on to practical applications and here's what you mm -hmm. should be doing. I remember so clearly reading those parts of the Bible, just skipping through the first half, like, oh yeah, right. I know about I know about Jesus dying for my sure. sins. I don't need to read about that anymore. Sure. Because I made my decision that one time. That's right. And that was an interpretive lens I was using. And it was you know, an evangelical decisional lens, mm -hmm. which really is not a law and gospel lens at all. And no. law and gospel is definitely a Lutheran th Lutheran thing, but it's not just Lutherans. There are some really great people on uh, American Gospel mm -hmm. Television, that AGTV app. I've heard um, Mike Abenroth talk, talk about mm -hmm. it really, really well. He's a Reformed Baptist yeah, guy. Yeah, I've heard some non-Lutherans speak yep. of law and gospel. And I'm really glad. I'm, I'm, not, I'm like, not sure if they understand it the same way. but It's I, but probably I, a little different. But I've heard them refer to that. It's close enough that I'm really glad they're at least doing something very, very similar. Because if, if you don't have that law and gospel distinctive, like I've heard pastors talk about the uh, Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes and say, this is what we got to do. When right, Jesus right. is really saying... This is what you got to do, and you ain't doing it. You That's need right. a savior. And we turn around and go, no, 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 I'm going to do it. 
Yeah, so if you take... That just reminds me, so, for example, the thing about anger and murder. So if you take that and, and you say, well, that means that we can never be angry. Jesus is telling us we can't be angry in the Sermon on the Mount because anger is murder. I'm going to look that if, up right now if before you, I forget. If you take that as, as to what I think he was trying to say is, look, this is how... Because his enemies, the Pharisees and so on, those who were opposed to him, they were taking that lightly. And they were saying, well, I haven't actually killed anyone, right. so therefore I have not broken this commandment. What he was really trying to do was convict them right, and say, look, it's not just that you haven't actually gone out and stabbed anyone. I mean, they didn't have guns to shoot them but with. But you thought gun. about it. You wanted but to do it. <laughs> you were angry enough to do it, so yes. therefore you're guilty of the commandment. So what he's really trying to say is we need to repent. You need to repent. You're a murderer in your heart. Yep. Not that this is our standard that we have to uphold because we can't do it. Right. And you that's know, that's where it, <clears throat> it, it, I really hope that those of you watching will will feel a sense of relief in hearing that. Because I know I did. I I was so confused for years going to church. And I kept thinking about I got to really start doing the stuff that everybody keeps talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, another thing that happened with us, and probably for a lot of people, is you're not doing the stuff that you've been told you're going to do. And you think, well, maybe it's because I'm at the wrong church and my pastor isn't good enough. So you go to a different mm -hmm. church, which is usually newer and younger and sure. fresher and more exciting, sure. yep. where the stuff is really supposed to be happening. And after about 5, 10, 15 years... <laughs> Guess what happens? They're like, may not even take that long. Yeah, it might take only uh, a couple of years or once, less. Once the once the burden of law keeps resting on your shoulders and you have no relief because the gospel was preached to you years ago and you don't hear it anymore. Right. So all you have is the law, the mm -hmm. burden of the law. Do yep. this, do this, do this. You must do this. So you go to a different church thinking we're going to finally get the magic bullet to figure exactly. out how to do all this exactly. stuff so we can be totally holy and live those yes. victorious lives where we're just like Jesus. And if you're watching us, I just want to say, you know, I'm really glad you're watching. And I also want to say... God is actually not looking for you to be just like him. He's not he's not up in heaven with his arms crossed saying, "Come on, try harder. You know, figure it out. Do read the Bible more, pray more, go to church more, serve more, witness more because I'm not happy with you." He is happy with you through Christ. That's mm -hmm. the central message that through Christ all of that bad stuff that we can't ever make right is is tossed aside and when God looks at us he sees not our sin but he sees Christ's sinlessness he sees yes. the, the the holy and pureness of Christ because of what Christ did on the cross for us yeah some some people have referred to it I'm not sure if this was Luther who said this different people have said it throughout church history that when we talk about uh, what Christ has done we're talking about some people call it the great exchange yes yep so I, th I think that's the Luther thing too. It might be. So Christ has exchanged his righteousness for our sin. In other words, we give Christ our sin, he gives us his righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It's not a righteousness that's an innate in us. Right. It's not a righteousness that we can achieve or earn. No matter what we do, we cannot ever achieve it. It's the perfect righteousness of the perfect Son of God given to us as a gift of grace. Yeah. Through God's mercy. What about the word imputed, Mr. Theologian? Imputed, man? yes. Well, it's a great word. Imputed means that it's it's put into us. Uh, the righteousness of Christ is is um, 
is imputed to us. It's given to us as a free gift put within us, uh, not as a result of our, of our own actions, our own good works, our own efforts. It's, it's just we are righteous by faith. I, I mean, read Romans 4. Okay, Romans 4, where Paul talks about Abraham. How was Abraham justified? Uh, he was justified by taking God at his word, is basically what he says. Hmm. God gave Abraham a promise. Abraham believed the promise. It was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, you know, the... the the so it's not, it's of, not the believing; it's the it's the thing that was believed in, yes. which was the promise. Yeah, it's it's not. See, this is where I think, this is where I think, and and again, I, I generalizing is always a bad idea. <laughs> so so this isn't this isn't everybody, but a great portion or 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 a lot of the evangelical teaching has has gotten this wrong by emphasizing our faith. As if our faith is the key. It needs no, to be, needs to grow and get stronger. Right. Our and... faith is not the key. In fact, the faith isn't even our faith. The faith is a gift of God. So, the faith to believe that Jesus Christ died for me and it's effective for me is a gift. Hmm. It's not my faith. It's given to me. And that's really hard for us to grasp. It, it is hard because to grasp. Because our, our sinful nature um, wants to earn mm, stuff. We yes. want to show that we can do it. But I, I think it was. Uh, maybe it's in the confessions, or or Luther wrote it or said it at some point. Or it comes from somewhere in my reading. I I come across so many things in my life. I can't remember where I got it, but but it is true that no matter how small, no matter how small of your own effort you put into your salvation, that little thing is the thing that really saves you. In your mind, so so if you yeah. say, "Well, Jesus did ninety nine and ninety nine one hundred percent," I just have to make the effort to finalize it. Right. Okay. Then that effort to finalize it, whatever that is, whether it's a decision, mm -hmm. whether it's a prayer, a commitment, that is the thing that you think saved you. So if somebody were to ask, ask you what saved you. Well, it was at this time on this date when I said this prayer, mm -hmm. that's what saved me. Well, they would also say, I believed in the thing. Right, right. That, sure. that, they wouldn't say that it, you know, it was, was the prayer itself. faith out in the air. But, yeah. but yes, yeah, so, and, and that is really true. So if you, if you think about that uh, and take that seriously, anything that you contribute is really, in the final analysis, the thing that you think got you there. Because up to that point, you weren't in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, logically, you have to look at it that way. Up to that point, you weren't in. So as soon as you did whatever that thing is, whether it was a thought or a prayer yeah. or a decision, whatever it was, that's the thing that got you over the line. So we always have to be careful with any human contribution to our salvation, what, no matter how small, no matter what it is, because as soon as we add that, then that becomes the effective thing. You know, and, if, uh, if this helps, um, <clears throat> this is called monergism. I think we talked about this before. Yeah. I talked about it somewhat. Monergism versus synergism. Yeah, monergism means that God is the one that does 100% yeah, of the saving. Mono meaning only one. Right, only God. Only God is saving us. <clears throat> and if it helps for any any of you watching, 
this is my layman's way of describing it. I seem to have made some series of decisions that led me to the faith that I now have. Mm -hmm. But I do not take credit for those. Even though it seems like I did certain things that got me to where I am, I give God all the, all the credit. Yep. I don't know how to explain that. Mm -hmm. I don't have a way to describe exactly what that process looks like, you know, in, mm -hmm. in, in myself and in everybody else. But I know for uh, a Bible-believing Christian, we look at our own life, and if we are saved, we say, thanks be to God and God alone. Yes. And we leave that as, this is where we are not intellectual. That's right. Because it's just, a, right. it's a bit of a mystery. And I say, yeah, it felt like it was me doing all these things. Like, sure. I go to a church that teaches me I can't make a decision, and I decided to go there. <laughs> so, so well, whatever decisions yes. we make, basically, we mm -hmm. don't try to figure out our role in that. We just say, hey, right. you know, thank God. Uh, it seems like I made a decision, but I, I know mm -hmm. it wasn't me. It was God working yeah. in me. Well, I read, I read something, again, I, I wrote it down, but I didn't write down where I got it, so I, I'm not sure where I read it, but uh, some reading I've done recently, where the point was being made that many of the people who, who talk about salvation end up always going to election and predestination because that's the only way that man can be completely humbled and God completely exalted. Hmm. So any anything else that we do short of that, if I contribute something, right, then I'm lifted up and God is brought down. So if you really think about that, the only way to give God all the glory is if He did it, and huh. I and I didn't contribute to it. And now now our minds just want to run from that. Well, and, and my mind wants to run from that the, because um, it, it, <clears throat> if if you. Um, I don't know if we want to go here. Maybe not. Maybe we're going off on a rabbit. Of course, trail. we're on a rabbit trail. <laughs> but again, this this. But it's idea, all related. It is related. I, mm. I I just want to make clear there is a difference in in the understanding of election between Lutherans and, and Calvinists. There is. Yes. And and the difference is in a, in a nutshell, it's that mm. we say, yeah, we are totally saved by what Christ has done, mm -hmm. even though you might say certain things happen, and I seem to have mm -hmm. made decisions or whatever we never get right. to give ourselves any credit at all for our salvation but if we reject god we don't say that that was what god chose to do right even though it seems like if god wants people to be saved he should just figure out a way to get everybody saved and if yeah. he doesn't get everybody saved even though that's what he wants it must mean that he doesn't want certain people to be saved mm -hmm. it is a logical uh series of ideas right and we just say yeah that does seem logical but we just don't see that in scripture so we say that God wants everybody to be saved because we see that in Scripture very mm -hmm. clearly over and over again. And then we also believe that sometimes people reject God. Yep. And God doesn't do anything to change that for whatever reason. And we don't give free, free will credit for that. We just say, I right. don't know. The Bible just doesn't speak to that issue. That's right. So we don't speak to that issue. I mean, we say that grace is always resistible. Grace God, is, yeah. God's grace is never irresistible. And and the true Calvinist says that grace is irresistible. And that just means that when you mm. when God wants you to be saved, there's nothing you can there's do. You're do going to. It. You can't resist it. You're going to be saved. That's and this it. is one of those topics that I don't really mm. enjoy it's, that much because no, it no, doesn't I, seem like it really applies mm. to real situations all that well. No. The only the way it applies to real situations tends to be in negative situations where you go, right. you know, 
my best friend was the best Christian in the world, and now he's an atheist. Right. How do I explain that? Or he went off and lived a profligate life or yeah, something. Yeah, and then you kind of go, well, I guess he never was a Christian. You're like, well, but he was. He was. I'm telling you, he was. Yeah. And we would say, you know what? We don't know. We don't, well, have, we don't have a theological answer for that because we yeah. don't see the Bible speaking clearly enough about exactly how to describe mm -hmm. that. We just say, yeah. we do see God... Uh, or the Bible explaining how it's possible for us to reject God because it's warning right. us over and over That's and right. over, do not reject God. I, I mean, one way that I view it is there is a point at which we hit an intellectual wall as human beings. Mm -hmm. we, there's a wall there, and we we want to understand beyond that wall, but we're not capable of it. That, that there's uh, the mind of God and the way God works, we can only get it up to a certain point. Right. And if we try to go beyond that, then we're gonna we're gonna end up in heresy. We're gonna end up in heterodoxy yeah. and heresy. Yeah, I guess we, so. Yeah, and that, that's I wasn't just thinking what, about that. Yeah, that's what's gonna happen because, uh, you know, to go back to I think it's Isaiah fifty-five. Uh, is it Isaiah fifty-five? Your ways are higher. My ways are higher than your ways. Mm -hmm. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and that is true. And even Paul. You know, in, in Romans, when he's talking about his, his longing for the Jews to be saved, his Israelite, his Israelite fellow Israelites to be saved, and he comes to the conclusion, God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. Hmm. And, and then in the end, uh, you know, who are you to talk back to God? Uh, I, I mean, all of, these, all of these things that he says, which, which really speak to us and say, look, uh, we can only go up to a certain point. Book of Job yeah, and, is the perfect book for doing that very yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and beyond that, we cannot go. And I was, I was going to find that his kind of conclusion to that, which I think is so, so important, even, even interpreting, in interpreting the Bible. Um, oh, here it is, the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable his ways. Hmm. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And you see, this is what we humans want to do. We mm -hmm. want to be God's counselor. And you know, Th This is what's nat natural to us. We want to tell God, look God, uh, you can't do this. Right. You can't do that. Right. You must do this. You must do that. That's you know, what we want to do. If I was God, it seems like I'd want to blah, blah, blah. When I hear people start with that, yeah. I'm like, don't do that. You're yeah. not God. So don't start trying to figure yeah. out what you think God should or should not do. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid, it says. So, uh, you know, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Hmm. So that is Paul's conclusion to this whole struggle he's having with why it is that the Gentiles and mass have come to Christ through his ministry mm -hmm. and his fellow Jews. I mean, you read the book of Acts, everywhere he went, they kicked him out of the synagogue. Right. They listened for a while. Right, they did. Oh, yeah, come back tomorrow and tell us some more. And then he would come back. And then they and, got him all. They yeah, got everybody riled up. That's again. right. It yep. came down to the nitty-gritty, probably, of the cross, <laughs> because he says several times the cross is a stumbling block to Jews, yeah. foolishness to Gentiles, he yeah. says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. So, you know, we, we can talk about interpretation of Scripture, and it's a very necessary topic, but we also have to uh, have to have this caveat that, that in the end, we can only understand so far yep. that there is mystery, and uh, mm -hmm. we, have to, we have to live with that, 
the fact that we're not going to comprehend everything, that there is mystery. But there's enough that we can comprehend yes. that we can be at peace mm. about that. Yes. And I think that's the key, because mm. mm. there, there's like this pendulum that swings between, I know everything there is to know about God, aren't I great? And the mm -hmm. other end, which is, it's such a mystery that I'm not sure about anything. Right. I think somewhere in the middle is where, you know, like, if, if, if we could understand everything there was to understand about God, we would be God. That's right. We would be. Yeah. And that's not how we are described yeah, by the like Bible. We're described it's, as sinners who need sorry. a savior. It's it's like that pastor that you evaluated on one of your YouTube uh, things some time back, who took a passage of scripture and he read it and he said, "I have no idea what yes, this is." Yes, Jensen Franklin. I have no idea what this is about, <laughs> and then he proceeds to, to talk, talk about, about what he thinks it might be about. Then there's those people like me that don't have a clue what this verse means. Okay, so, okay, well, yeah, there are things we don't understand, and, and yeah. we have to, and that's true. Uh, you know, we just, I've, you know, I have, I have two theological degrees, a master's and a PhD. I've been studying scripture, teaching scripture, preaching, you know, for years and years and years, and uh, I'm still learning, and there's stuff that I, I simply do not understand. I, I accept by faith. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not just a leap in the dark or something, but... Right. Uh, yeah, there's a lot I understand, but there are many things I don't I don't know how to explain, and I, and I don't I don't really fully understand. And it, it, my pastor said it's above my pain grade. That's right. You know, even <laughs> even the Lord's Supper. You know, we Lutherans confess that this is a body and blood of Christ. He is in with and under the elements. How I you know we don't go there. So. So when when people critique this view, and many do, um, they critique it because they don't understand it. Okay, well, uh, yeah, how can you be saved? Right. I mean, that's the biggest miracle, right? Right. Like, how come uh, God hasn't struck us dead? That's right. Since we, we are guilty of his condemnation. Blasphemy and yeah. every, you know, sinners. We horrible just, sin you right. can think of, whether we actually did it or just thought about it. I mean, it. in the entire void of the um, universe, with, with uh, all these giant rocks spinning around, there's this one that's just perfectly balanced, that has just the right atmosphere so we can have life on this beautiful little right. blue planet. How does that happen? That's right. You think you got that figured out? No. It's amazing. It's, it's you know... Uh, yeah, I think it's really healthy to to have that balance between we want to know as much as we can about God's word. He has That's given right. us a mind. He, he's given us a brain to use. And I am really in favor of people, if they're trying to interpret the Bible and they, they realize they've been negligent. I know I was for decades as an adult. I was negligent. And I've repented for that. One of the things I did was I just stopped doing certain um, kind of frivolous activities. For instance, I used to always, whenever I had to run an errand, and I don't have a job because I work at home, mm -hmm. but when I would go in the car, I would just kind of flip the radio on and listen mm -hmm. to the radio. And I was maybe 10, 12 years ago, I was like, you know, I think I should just stop doing that. Hmm. Why am I doing that? I don't need to hear the songs that I've heard a million times anyway, right, right. or hear the weather or whatever. Sure. I thought this would be a time for me to just be quiet. Maybe I would pray a little bit. Maybe, maybe just some quietness would... You know, help me in some regard. We also stop watching television. Now mm. we 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 watch it again now, but we're a lot more selective about it. Mm. And I think it helps that we have the internet, so you can just click what you want. And yeah. but the idea that you just automatically flip the thing on when you walk in the room, mm -hmm. I really encourage everybody. I haven't mentioned this for a while, but I used to really mention it a lot. 
I cannot encourage you enough. If that's just a part of your family background, turn it off. And Paulette said something really profound when we did that. And I've, I've never stopped thinking about this little thing she said. She said, you know, since we did that, I feel like I have room inside my brain hmm. for things now. And, yep. and she was specifically referring to God's Word. Hmm. But... Um, we do have a culture of just things being thrown at you constantly. You know, and it doesn't actually help with YouTube and Facebook and there's new things yeah. all the time and there's, you know, shocking this and then I can't believe blah, blah. There yeah. is a time to just say, you know, I don't really need all that stuff right now and to shut some things down and to leave some space in your brain and, and get back into God's word. And with the idea that we can learn a lot, but we can always do just what you said. We're not yeah. going to get to the end of it and say, well, no. I'm done now. I got eh, I got it all figured out like Bar Barney Fife. No. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, and I, I'm still trying to, I'm still thinking about this statement. Hmm. And it sounds like a simple statement, but it's really not. Something that Luther said or wrote, he said that uh, there's enough in our baptism to, and I don't know the exact words, hmm. to uh, learn about or, or keep us learning for the rest of our lives. Hmm. So think about that. You know, uh, the New Testament, I mean, I, I, I wrote this paper on baptism that I sent to you, did an exegesis on the main passages of... We, of well, we did a whole video together. Uh, about Yeah, about baptism in the New Testament. And it's very, very clear that, that baptism is a, an integral part of our salvation um, you know, of our cleansing from sin. Um, now, you can argue about how to express that, but it, it's extremely clear. There's no question about it in my mind after exegeting the passages from mm -hmm. Greek and so on. So if, if you think about that, just, just your justification before God, your salvation, what it means that Jesus died for you, you know, that th that's the theme of Scripture. The Scripture is... How does God save fallen man? Hmm. And how does he redeem a fallen creation? So, okay, That's, this is a really good place for us to conclude hmm. this first episode. Because yep. I, I knew we were going to get to that very mm -hmm. point. There, there has to be, and I, I shouldn't say it that way, there should be an understanding of the central focus of Scripture. And that, mm -hmm. that central focus should be what we hear from Christ himself. That's right. From Christ and his apostles. That's right. If we hear them telling us these are the most important things, that's where we go, okay, thank you. Now we know what the most important things are. And now if you're inserting your own important things and mm -hmm. you're ignoring the words of Christ and the apostles, well, right there we can see we got a huge problem. Which is that's right. Which is why we can so confidently speak against some of the pastors in these crazy videos we do, mm -hmm. because they are doing that very thing. Yep. They are ignoring the central focus yep. of the scripture, which is Christ yes. and Him crucified for our sins. Yeah, I just want to one little thing that I somebody else may have come up with this too. It may not be unique with me, but uh, here's the cross. Here's all of biblical history up to the cross here's what comes from the cross hmm. so the cross I, I haven't seen this before. the cross is the central focus of history okay and and that's what that so if you look at the old testament let's say that you were to say this is the old testament so when you're looking at the old testament you're looking at how does god get to the cross yeah 
what is the Old Testament doing in its history, its prophetic uh, messages? It's, it's telling us how to be overcomers. Yeah, so, right. So we can kill the giants in our so lives. So it's it's <laughs> leading up. So when when you think of Old Testament history and you think of how God honed down even his own people. Yeah. Okay, so he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. The kingdom was divided in the northern and the southern. The southern was the tribe of Judah and the little tribe of Benjamin. The northern kingdom was completely wiped out. The only thing left was Judah. They were exiled to Babylon for 70 years. They came back. They rebuilt the temple. Then you have the prophetic books that come after that. Uh, yeah. Many of them during that time leading up to or, or, or during or just after that. Then you have 400 years from the time of Malachi to the time of Christ, when the Jews saw that as silence, there's mm -hmm. no prophet, there's no prophetic word. And so you get to the cross, and that's the fulfillment of everything that God was leading up to was the cross, the Messiah. And the Jewish people knew this. Mm -hmm. The Jewish people that Jesus encountered in his ministry knew this. That's what they're looking for. But they were looking for a political Messiah. Right. They were looking for that kind of deliverer, like the Maccabees had been, who overthrew you know, the the Syrian rulers. Masada? Yeah, well, the, yeah. Um, the the yeah, fortress? Yeah, that was part of it. Part yeah. of it. So, and then you have Christ, and now now we're, we're in the fulfillment period, and so maybe in another video, I'll take a look and, and do some, uh, the first three verses of the book of Hebrews are so important in this, how God spoke in the past and how he spoke. He spoke okay. today, yeah. which is a very important text, a very key text in the New Testament, to talk about how God speaks. So a lot of this talk that we see, all these people are saying, God speaks to me, God speaks mm -hmm. to me, God speaks to me, I'm going to tell you my vision, what did God tell me to do, what did God tell me to say? But that's not what the New Testament says. And the first three books of Hebrews points out, how has God spoken in the past? Yeah. How has he spoken now? There. There's a there's a difference, but hmm. it's still the God who speaks. Same God. Uses the article. Yeah. The God who spoke is the God who now speaks. And it's two different ways of speaking. So uh okay. it's, it's the same God. That sounds great. We're, we're gonna do that real soon. <clears throat> Let's end this one for now. Thanks you much <clears throat> thanks you guys so much for watching. Yes. I Amen. Guess, Thank you. Get the words out. This has been really great. Hope it's helpful. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be helpful. I'm already learning stuff. <clears throat> And uh, again, keep keep watching, keep learning, keep doing what you're doing. If you're watching this video, this is not one of our silly videos with lots of little stuff interjected. And I, I do get a little bit bothered that I know that this video won't be watched as much, but that's just the nature of the way things are. And I try not to take it personal that, you know, we might get 5,000 on one video and but 10,000 on another one. Right, right. Maybe it's my fault for making the funny ones to begin with. <laughs> Maybe I should make them all. No, I, it doesn't matter. Anyway, thanks you guys so much for watching. We'll talk again soon. Take care.